All right, guys. Well, welcome to the show. It's good to be back with you again on another video podcast. And I am really excited about this week's episode because uh, the guest this week is a guy who I really look up to him in terms of his career and just um, his content that he puts out. Um, big fan. Uh, I'm sure you probably heard of him, um, though you may not have heard him on other podcasts. He doesn't do a lot, a whole lot of other podcasts, so I was really fortunate to get a hold of him and get some time with him. Uh, my guest today is Brian Call from the Gritty Podcast, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have probably seen his his uh, YouTube videos as well. Anyway, like I said, um, I really respect his work a lot, and um, so this is a great conversation we have today. Um, we do get a little bit into some of the details of the technical nitty gritty stuff of like filming hunts because um, he's very knowledgeable about that obviously and I just I couldn't waste the opportunity to pick his brain uh, and learn from him so um, you know hopefully you guys find that interesting um, I know a lot of people will some may not but there's tons of other great stuff we talk about you know we talk about um, just hunting and life in general we really get kind of into some deeper stuff towards the end in terms of like spirituality and just like the meaning of life and there's some really like powerful dramatic moments in there so I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode getting to see another kind of side of Brian and I really enjoyed having this conversation with him um, you know it just flowed really well it flowed so well that you know you'll notice when the episode starts we just kind of roll into it uh, we just kind of start talking so um so yeah, be ready for that. Also, towards the end, it, it ends slightly abruptly because what happened was I actually lost the um, video connection with him right at the end of the interview. We did reconnect after, but um, anyway, it's a really good episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. You might notice the new part of my set back here, right here, this sign. Um, I do not condone stealing or destruction of property in any way. However, this sign uh, was illegally posted on public ground for nefarious purposes. So I, in some way, was doing a duty by removing it. Um, that was double-checked and triple-checked by myself. I personally spoke with a game warden who told me that it was illegally posted. And he even double-checked with the state game commission. So I know 100%, without a doubt, that sign was illegally posted on public land uh, nefariously on purpose. Um, and it's an interesting story. Um, it's something that happened with me and Dan Staten when we were in New Mexico. Lots of sketchy stuff going on down there with their elk herds, which they protect because they bring in hunters, which means money. And anytime you get money involved, there's some sketchy stuff that goes down. So we're going to go into that whole story and tell you guys all about that. It's really interesting. Actually, today I am sitting down with Dan. We're going to do a swap cast um, and, and talk about the whole trip, give an update, and just talk about all the sketchy stuff that went down um, on this public land, really tough hunt in New Mexico. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to sharing that with you guys um, probably next week. Um, but again, this week is an awesome episode with Brian Call. Um, I really hope you guys enjoy it. Um, it's on YouTube as well if you're listening, so please go to the YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. You can find me just by searching my name, Hunter McWaters. And, um, you know, without a whole lot of further announcements and stuff like that, I'm looking forward to sharing this episode. Let's just jump right in. Enjoy.
I started doing the YouTube thing like a month or so ago, and it takes the difficulty from like a two to a ten. So yeah, <laughs> the thing that I've always asked myself and always wondered, like, is uh, is YouTube worth it? You know, yeah. because so many people just listen to the audio version anyway, and it's such an investment. It's a decision you got to make. Yeah, I just. I'm going to try to start getting into the, you know, filming my hunts thing too. So I figured I might as well just start trying to build the audience, you know? Um, yeah, I think YouTube is powerful. Uh, for example, when you listen to a show, you know, you could listen to a show for two years and never know what the guy looks like. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But if you have video clips that you can throw up, I think it, it works better for your, uh, for all your socials rather than having some audio clip come on a you can promote it a little more easily basically when it's on youtube yeah and you do video version all right cool man well yeah i'm here with uh my guest today super excited to talk to brian call how you doing man i'm good real yeah. good yeah thanks for joining me what's the weather like there so you got a nice outdoor backdrop i've never seen you outside in a <laughs> podcast I know the uh, studio is an hour and a half away because we moved last week to the new house. So um, nice. I was crashing the Mountain Ops building and using a lot of their, uh, you know, I have the key to the building. I go in there and I use the conference rooms and stuff. And it's been great because I lived just down the road from the Ops building. But now I'm an hour and a half away and I need to set up a new studio. We're working on it right now in the house there and... But until then, outside's been working well. Yeah. Yeah, man. So what's I know you're probably like in the thick of editing and putting together a bunch of films. What's what's kind of going on in your world right now? Right now I I've we finished well, we did a lot of that um the first part of our spring bear hunts that we published and then I've been dropping elk footage because yeah. it is the season. Mm -hmm. Um this Sunday I'm supposed to drop another elk series but i've got too much going on and the video isn't where i want it to be yeah. i gotta go to portland visit visit my my grandpa he's getting old and so i decided to uh table that so we're gonna throw out a short like 15 minute like bear hunting episode that okay. we were we have a lot of footage that hits the the cutting room floor that nobody ever sees right because it didn't end in something to to share it didn't end in a in a hunt or a harvest and we're okay with not with making that stuff but if we have limited bandwidth on how much time we have to in, to put on a show we're going to cherry pick the best stuff and then put that out there but right yeah. now we're 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 just busy and there's a cool scene a sequence that happens on one the spring bear hunt that we were on that i think is cool but we we just sort of scrapped it but because of the schedule, I don't have time to get the elk. It's like an hour long episode, this elk one. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'm going to go and do this 15 or 20 minute one from the bear that I scrapped and throw it out on Sunday just because I don't have the time to do more than that right now. And then hunting yeah. season is right upon us. And it it's is. just, there's no time. And really, I'm in the midst of shooting my bow as often as I can and mm -hmm. trying to get uh, dialed and scout for elk and. And everybody knows how that is, and it's just a it's a crazy busy time. 
Yeah, yeah, editing is time consuming. So, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to to join me. I'm I'm definitely a fan. So forgive me if I fanboy out a little bit here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've been I've been watching the series and um, and uh, yeah, my wife came in earlier and I was watching the the latest elk elk uh, episode. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, oh, it's research. I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that, the, the elk stuff is pretty cool. I, I, I'm excited to be able to publish it and share it right now. And yeah. I think the, um, the, um, the next episode is really, really cool. Something we haven't told everybody just yet. That's what we're sharing right now is the first like eight days of the hunt. Mm. And then there's a second eight days. And that's when I kill my bull and all that stuff. Nice. Well, we're going over hard drives and everything, going over the footage, and it's been deleted. The whole second week is gone. Oh, no way. So when my brother transferred it from one file to another file, if you copy but leave files in place, set a copy to new location, you can accidentally think you have everything copied, but you don't. It's just and like the thumbnail? the old hard drive. Yeah, yeah dude. It's just a just a pointer final cuts bad like that like oh you use final uh, cut? premiere yeah premiere's not as uh you won't make that same mistake in premiere as as easily but um yeah it was disappointing um because it's Seriously. to me it's one of my coolest elk archery elk moments ever captured over the mm. shoulder like up close the only clips i have is two clips that i shared on instagram right after the hunt to tease people a little bit yeah. and they're the coolest clips and it's over the shoulder and my bull is standing there and he's screaming and he looks up toward us and that was just before I drew my bow and then shot him and the arrow just slow motion goes through the air like oh. you know and just yeah. hits the bull and and uh, then he goes down the hill and it's a, just the coolest stuff and I showed everybody in the office at ops and everywhere like check this out you know when I got home but it's gone Oh my it's gone. Goodness. So, um, Brad got within 40 yards of a giant and, um, it was just, we waited for 30 minutes and I am, I'm 40 yards away with the camera just on tight. It's hot. The bull's like sweating and dripping from mm. his nose and he's bugling, you know, and it's just like, it's the coolest shots and it's gone. And oh, that's what happens. I, thankfully, I, I haven't had any disasters like this, um, really in my in all the years I've been doing this, I haven't really deleted or lost. I had one interview that I did with um, Easton Corbin, uh -huh. the country singer, and uh, Brandon, and uh, and that show got deleted as well. Yeah. But out of six hundred and something, six hundred fifty episodes of the podcast. You know, I yeah, feel like we, hey. yeah, that's pretty good. And we live and die by technology. I mean, like literally two minutes before you're about to jump on, I was freaking out because my garage band would not open. I was like pulling out backup <laughs> options, like, what are you kidding? It's never not open to my life. And like two minutes before you jump on, it's about to not open. I <laughs> I did a podcast with Joe Rogan at the Western Hunting Summit years ago, which kind of blew up my show. Yeah. Like big time. And the whole time I was checking the record button, check, you could see me like having this conversation and looking, look, I'm a solo act, you know, so I'm the one running all the equipment. I'm trying to podcast host, but also make sure I'm capturing everything all, all at the same time. And 
yeah yeah it was a and back then the gear i had was a little more clunky and prone to mishap and so it was intense i, I know you're feeling like you get something and you, you want it it's it's just like filming a hunt in the moment and mm-hmm. you realize you didn't push the record button or something or the yeah. audio was shut off or you know yeah. but yeah it's that's why when I started doing filmmaking, I was doing some commercials here and there for other people. But people said, I want you to document my wedding. And I was like, no way. I'm not going to photograph and I'm not going to film weddings because I can't go. Like when I screwed up on a commercial, record, I'm like, let's redo this thing next week. Like this didn't work out. I need new shots. You don't get that no. in a live scenario. Yeah. And uh, people get one wedding. Mm-hmm. and you screw up the video it's just i don't want that Terrible. on me yeah. yeah yeah i come from a background of professional videography and um that never goes away you're always i mean you'll people will see in this podcast because i am recording in three different spots so you'll see my eyes darting around <laughs> here for sure but um but yeah man it's technology it's um on that note How- actually do you mind actually mm-hmm. taking your mic down just to touch its clipping a little bit you bet Thanks, dude. How is that right there? That's good. It's a little low, but I can fix it later. It's fine. It's better than clipping. You were about to ask yeah. me something? Yeah. So what's the story uh, for you, you know, yeah. getting into this? What? Yeah, man. So I, like I said, I worked for a company called the Christian Broadcasting Network. I don't know if you've ever seen the show with Pat Robertson, the 700 Club. You know that guy? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, it's a, it's a Christian TV show. And so I worked for them for seven years as a, as a camera operator for two years. And I was a producer and we'd produce, produce like seven, five to seven minute long documentary pieces. And, um, so I learned a lot of the, the skills doing that. Um, and then you have know, always hunted, but, uh, last year a friend of mine invited me to Alaska and that was the first like backcountry backpacking experience that I had. And dude, it just changed my life, dude. Like lost tons of weight, got in shape, like learned all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, like got all the gear. My wife almost left me for how much money I spent on gear. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I learned so much from podcasts and listening to guys like you and stuff. And um, when I came back, I wanted to kind of share it. I realized obviously it's an extremely saturated market, um, but I thought I could have a little bit of a unique spin on it. Um, and kind of, I know there's a ton of good content about like mental toughness and like physical fitness and that's stuff that I really liked. Cause in the, you know, the hunting tradition I grew up in, it's kind of more good old boys, uh, you know, overweight dudes and stuff. When you get to the Western thing, it's like this whole new world opened up of like these mountain athletes and stuff. And I just loved it and ate it up. Um, but there still wasn't a whole lot of content where people were talking about the spiritual side of stuff. Um, so, and I know a lot of guys like what uh, Adam Weatherby and like Robbie Denning and Dan Staten are Christian dudes. Um, I don't only just talk to Christian dudes, but I just like to address that spirituality aspect of it too, which I feel like wasn't talked about much or maybe just like barely touched on a little bit, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah, where I'm kind of coming from. I kind of made a post about that yesterday. Um, oh yeah. I, totally agree i think a lot of the issues we're dealing with in the world today is because people you know i love that quote from uh luther standing bear that's man's heart away from nature becomes hard yes and i think that too many people are out of touch with nature in the natural world they live so much on their phones and in the city life that they don't really know um they don't really have the they don't pause for introspection they don't Mm -hmm. They don't really think about 
the deeper things and they're just swept along in in the river of life they don't really have any control or plan you know they're not looking at and you know 50 years from now when, when i'm gone what's the legacy i want to leave behind they don't really look at um how they live their life necessarily yeah. and say everything i do matters so i should do everything i can to to have a meaningful life to live a meaningful life it's more like well what's expedient what works for me today mm -hmm. what's easy what what do i want not what should i do right and if you don't live life with intention, with a goal, with a plan, you'll wake up 10, 20 years from now and you'll have done nothing with life. Yeah. And, and you become one of those bitter people that log onto my show and say, I'm an, a douchebag <laughs> and a moron. And all yeah. I do is this for money. And you become a hater. Totally. Um, yeah. And, uh, really it's, it's more along the lines of they're just unhappy with their own lives and 100%. they're projecting. And so, yeah. I, I, I like, uh, I think we need more of, of this kind of discussion myself. Yeah, yeah man. And that's, you know, that's tactics always... and fitness and that's all good, but yeah, yeah when it really boils stuff. down to it. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I've always like, even as a, a young kid kind of remember like, um, having the thought of like, man, I don't want to get old and you know, not have stories or have regrets of all stuff I could have or should have done. And I even like, you know, years ago kind of thought about getting into Western hunting and I was like, eh, I don't know. It's hard. I don't really understand the tags. I'll just stick to my whitetail and then, you know, whatever. But then this dude, uh, you know, a couple people started talking to me. I was like, man, I got to do this. And then it was kind of Providence that this guy just who had done it before invited me on this, you know, walk in caribou hunt. And I was like, yes, done going. And it just changed my life, uh, dude. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I'm looking forward to going back to Alaska for two weeks. Yeah, and when are you heading out? Um, next week, okay. and it's it's one of those things where, it, it and it's not just that elk hunting is coming up around the corner, and I'm gonna go for a couple of weeks, if not more, into the mountains. And I don't know, there's something special about being out there and disconnected. And the more I'm connected and engaged and producing film and in studio and all that, the weirder I get, the, the more dissatisfied with society and myself. And it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. a bad, it's a, the modern world is good in so many ways and bad in so many ways. Totally. And, uh, so unplugging like that and, and kind of hitting the reset button on these trips, I'm lucky. I get to do this all the time. Yeah. I don't, Do you find I don't you're know still able to... to connect and like unplug still with the camera and stuff as well? Yeah, it used to be that um, the camera is 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 such an extension of my person. They're like a hunting companion with me, like my buddy. Yeah. So I don't even notice it. It doesn't even impact a hunt. Ryan doesn't notice it. Lampers doesn't notice it either. Like it's literally not an inconvenience in any way we just turn it on and talk to the guys and i film him and we talk about what we're doing and strategies and he tells me strategies and if you notice our our stuff's real feels real natural because it is yeah we don't we're not staging the stock we're not staging hey you know get in your boat and raft like this or do that or like oh stop go back around this i want to get you as you do this yeah none of that happens we're just like the camera's just on when it needs to be on and off when it's off and what we get, we get It's 
the more seamless it is. And I've been on hunts where, you know, a company has hired a film guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's all so fake. That guy's like, Hey, you're on that horse. Oh, that's a cool shot. The sun is behind it. Do this. And I'm like, how about you just get the camera out and get it when I do it next time? (laughs) You know, like I don't, don't, don't make it about the filming. It's the hunt. And you're just a fly on the wall capturing the moments you know yeah so but when i first started yeah i was all ever cognizant of the filming and the production and all that kind of stuff and it was a little bit uh it did impact the hunts and i fell into the same traps and the same mistakes that others do when they're filming hunts and but but now you know thankfully i've done it so much and it's funny to see ryan so seamless in front of a camera because he's really introverted yeah. And you put him in front of a crowd and he gets really uncomfortable. He hates it. And when I first put the camera in his face, he would just lock up, just lock up. <laughs> and, and now he just is like, he doesn't even notice or care. Nice. You know, he's just himself. Yeah. So, but getting unplugged, I remember back then too, it would take 10 or 12 days of to really, really stop thinking about emails or bills or, or your job or, or, obligations it would take it would it would i would say it would take a good 10 days of just being unplugged to truly disconnect mm-hmm. sometimes if i could squeeze out like a 14 day consecutive trip in the mountains it was like mind blowing how much all of a sudden all those worldly cares that were bugging me up to day 7 or 8 were just disappearing from my life i'm realizing i'm making too big a deal out of all this stuff it doesn't really matter at the end of the day yeah and it really reset priorities for me now interestingly i'm like that the day i walk out like there's no 10 day yeah there's no i i unplug the second i'm on the hunt like i'm free the the all the trappings of civilization are gone and i'm in a new zone and it's just it's liberating and I, yeah. I, I don't struggle like I did. You yeah, know, when I, something's so pure when like your only mission for the day is like clean water, try to kill some food and like find a place to sleep. <laughs> it's and what, what, how much it, it really makes you feel grateful for the things that you have in life. Yeah. Uh, when you, when you're like that, I was listening to Shane Mahoney the other day and he made a post or he, he has a, an article I read that I really liked and I commented on it a little bit and um, it went like this. It was, uh, he, I said this, you know, human be- beings are built for this. Our DNA is programmed for hunting. And he said, hunting is how many of us fall in love with nature. Hunting is the generator of our human condition, the crucible of intellect and the fire of creativity. Hunting is an immersion, a drowning in connectedness that squanders pride and privilege the true hunter is the humble man, the enthralled child, and the knowing prince. All is ready. Nothing is restive. All is rhythm. Nothing is in friction. Hunting knows why the senses were made. It displaces both the practical and the excess. It represents evenness, oneness, and the knowledge of self. Hunting is a cataclysm of inward progress. We hunt for spiritual reasons. We hunt to find inner peace. We hunt to understand the world. Hunting is our first great myth. Mm, And I think, you know, people say, well, I photograph animals. I go out and I do this in nature. I go to Yellowstone. I'm like, 
dude it's not the same no when you have a bow in your hand a rifle in your hand and you are in the act of taking a life and you are stalking prey there is something different about your senses like you said you forget about everything mm-hmm. the only thing that matters is not being discovered and focusing on the and getting the kill that's it everything else is gone you don't have any resources available for yeah. anything else you could lose a dear loved one that thought will not go into your mind in those moments mm. all energy goes to this thing mm. now it'll come rushing back after the moment is gone but there are a few things i think that can disconnect your 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 mind and your soul from the cares of civilization and and the world like that moment does and to me we crave those moments and don't even know why because we don't think about it Mm. but the i i truly believe that's one of the reasons why that disconnect that total focus that you only get with a weapon in your hand and for me i don't know about this for everyone and i've met hunters i think that don't feel this way but for me, when I kill the animal, there's a, there's, there's a, or I make a successful kill. There's absolutely a triumphant feeling of, of success. And there is a moment mm-hmm. where I just am enthralled by this moment, especially if I've shot what I would deem a unicorn, you know, uh, yeah. an animal that just shouldn't be harvested on a public land hunt like this. It just, yeah. it's, it's just not what guys do. It's truly a unique moment, a special achievement. And you get down there, but at the same time, although I don't show it as much, inside there's a feeling of sadness too. Mm. Not of guilt, but of just loss because this animal is no longer out there and I'm the one responsible for it. But as soon as I start to cut it open, as soon as I pull the skin off and I start harvesting the heart and I pull the, the, the quarters off and I debone it and it all starts getting broken up and put into backpacks, and situated and hung in trees it's like the the butchering process utterly erases the the sorrow hmm. and i think it's i think it's um cathartic like it it it's a healing process because hmm. you do feel the loss but then as you break it down and and start to package it and take it home and then consume it it that that sorrow or sadness is actually replaced by a deep sense of gratitude yeah and, and thankfulness and... and a desire to give back to everyone, including nature. And I think too many people no longer experience the sadness and then the experience of gratitude that follows once you start consuming the meat. They don't get it because they don't do it. And so they just see what you do as a cruel act. Right. And I always say to people, until you do what I do, until you kill an animal and then bring it home and, and you and – you, cook it for friends and family, you don't get it. Mm-mm. You won't get it. Yeah. Yeah, totally, man. Let me, yeah. You know about those 30-minute record recording uh, limits. <laughs> yep. That's why I went to the FS5. Um, oh, you got an FS5? Mm-hmm. But it sucks nice, with dude. low lighting. You got to have uh, good lighting. But I got the Does FS5 it? a few years back because it'll run four out. I lost too many... I had too many problems with the 30 minute issue. Yeah. Yeah. But it's... it is pretty on a mirrorless or a DSLR. It is nice. But with FS5, you get kind of that DSLR look anyway, you know? Um, yeah. Because I still use the same lens. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. my FS5 as I do the the other camera. So, it, in fact, it's very similar. Um, yeah. 
the only only issue I run into is um, it does not have any it does not have low light capability. So when mm-hmm. you are filming indoors, you really have to pay attention to your lighting. Yeah. Uh, in order to get a good clean shot, and if you notice, I'm lazy, and so a lot of my sh- my stuff is grainy. So I just color grade it so that it has a a, yeah. a rustic antique look to it. So I don't have to deal with the lights. And if you were to look at the raw footage, it's grainy and ugly, but Oh, really? And it's blur a little bit. It's not as sharp, but um, I actually like the look, and that's how I get it around it. Because, uh, but the dealing with a DSLR or a mirrorless and having it shut off at thirty minutes or even overheat. Yeah. Oh yeah, my old camera used to overheat all the time. So you're carrying the FS5 with you on hunts now? No, 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 no. That's oh, okay, just for studio. For I was gonna say that's a big that's a big camera for lugging around. And um, I almost got rid of it because Rogan was just using these little camcorders, and I got a few of those and all that, and they were yeah. great in low light. But I don't know I ended up sticking with the FS5 for the studio camera because, um, and it's way overkill for studio. But I like the bokeh. I like the lens options. Totally. I just think it's. Um, I like. I like it. So I kept it, and then when you resell some of that stuff, it just doesn't sell for what. What, what what you paid for it's worth more probably to keep it yeah so i've been running that for for but i run the a7 III okay for all my video right now cool yeah i'm uh on an a7s2 i would get a three but i just had to pick up a pick up a used a7s2 i got a good deal on it on rock slide so just went with it you know and works well yeah so. <laughs> i used the a7s2 for years but there's a couple issues with it that the stabilization isn't as good for yeah. the handhold filming. It's really, it's really, when I go back and look at my A7S2 footage, I'm disappointed. Like, mm. I don't like the stability. And then the, the autofocus, the follow focus and stuff, it's not quick and sharp. Like, when yeah. I run it at 2.0 aperture, I want to be able to just keep it tight on the person's face. And when they rock back and forth, I want that focus to follow them. Yeah. You know, and the A7S2 is. It's okay, yeah. you know. It doesn't, and the batteries suck. Batteries suck. Yes. When it gets cold, they just all have four dead batteries in one yeah. night. Yeah. So I have it's to like remember to put man. them with the, keep them warm all the time, and so I'm yeah. using hot hands and sticking them in there. And yeah, the A7 III was a major upgrade, and now Brad's got the all the new stuff. Um, I'd like to get it, but yeah. Well, so. I did have like a bunch of selfish filming questions I was going to ask you later, but <laughs> yeah. we're already on the topic. So do you mind? Hit me up. <laughs> um, so yeah, when like, y- are you, um, so when I was trained, it was like a no, no, you do not go into full auto mode. Like you do everything manual, but like hunting is just such a different like ball game. I'm really tempted to just throw that thing in intelligent auto mode. Are you doing that or are you doing everything manual? Okay. So this is how, this is how I learned from like even Adam Foss and some of these guys with CCAT creative and some of these guys that have been filming for a long time and all my own discovery and then filming with other guys in the field. This is, this is, this is how I do it. And I think that it's probably to me, it's, it's the way to go. Put everything into manual except for ISO. Mm. ISO should be auto. So when you're running an ISO in auto, it'll, it'll, it will, um, adjust for exposure based on your exposure meter that you set. Yeah. And I always un- underexpose by point negative point three or point seven, uh, everything because, uh, it's easier to add a little bit of, you know, yeah. color or light brightness afterwards, but you can't, yeah, if it's blown you know, out, it's gone. 
blown out, it's gone. So what I like to do is um, there's two things that I think are critical. Running in uh, auto ISO and two, using ND filters. Mm-hmm. Guys just don't use ND filters. It's yes. like, what are you thinking? Yeah. You have to like you jack your like shutter speed all the way up to be able to just even get anything. Yeah, I got a variable ND. And then that's it's, money. And then it's ghosting and it's looking weird. And I actually don't use any variables either. Okay. I strict. I use uh, either a three stop or a six stop. Okay. And I use a breakthrough technology. Breakthrough technologies. Uh, uh, three stop and six stop ND filter. Cool. And what I have found is. Um, most of the time I'm filming at 2.8 or 5 or 5.6 or depending on the shot, maybe F11. And I'm kind of in those ranges like for th- three different uses. Yeah. But most of the time I'm I'm trying to go for 2.8 or 3.5. I need a I need a ND filter for that because look at this, how yeah. bright it is. Yeah. And so a three stop does the trick usually, but if it's bright like this, I'll have to put the six stop in in mm-hmm. order to get that and what i like about the breakthrough is it doesn't tint it that much doesn't change the color it doesn't give you any vignette vignetting like the variables do so i used the variable for a long time and it just would it would just uh cause me problems and when i got home and post i think it it's you've got two different lenses you know going against each other Mm -hmm. and you get crosses and things like that and when i go to color it i could be like i'd have all these problems so i prefer a fixed three stop or six stop. And I would say I film 90% of my hunts with the three stop. I rarely break out the six stop anymore. Mm. And only if it's really bright. And, um, if I was running, my lens is as ice bad as 2.8, 18 millimeter on a full frame. So I don't run like I used to have a Zeiss 1.4, 35 millimeter, mm-hmm. which that's what I use the six stop for was because it was 1.4 and I, I was trying to get it in a bright day, get a really deep bokeh. Yeah. But I found it's overkill. You know, it's it's so yeah. rich and, and so blurry. It's it's sort it's of... It's hard to I get think it stuff throws in. you off. Yeah. Yeah, and stuff comes in and out of focus. Or and like their really nose notice. will be in focus, but their eyes won't. <laughs> it's like so totally. shallow. And so I typically run a 2.8 nowadays. Um, yeah with a with the three stop and it gets me most of my shots and then like if i need to if it's too bright then i'll raise it up to you know five six or yeah or so or or four okay and what i do is auto iso mm-hmm. so if i'm at 2.8 and my three stop is filter is is um making it too dark so i'm under exposing everything well guess what the Sony has such an incredible ISO low light capability yeah. that I just let the auto ISO correct it. Gotcha. So my focus stays auto all the time. My exposure is always like one or two ticks under zero, under neutral, yeah. right? Underexposed. And my auto ISO adjusts without visible, without visibility, without it being visible through the yeah. camera because you you see the stops when you change aperture in right. the middle of filming or ISO in the middle of filming. When yeah. it's auto ISO, it just goes. It just it just it just flows perfectly. Right. So whenever I don't have enough light because my ND filter is blocking it, big deal. My ISO is between a hundred and the min max on the auto, a hundred yeah. to sixteen hundred or a hundred to eight hundred or something yeah. in there. And 
that way it always is perfectly exposed. Yeah, that's smart because um, if still... I move it up or move it down, yeah. it just auto exposes to the right level and it's always hitting that meter right. Yeah, and since you're not like in full auto, you don't get weird like white balance changing on you in the middle of a shot or like you can still get those cool rack focuses and stuff. So that's that's smart. And because we're outdoors, I film everything in auto white balance. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I, I just don't. I haven't found like a lot of guys that I've hunted with are real anal about that stuff. And, and yeah, my white balance is off on tons of shots. Yeah. Uh, but you color grade your stuff tint. anyway. That's just it is I've become pretty good at color grading over the Dude, last I love the look you get. years. I love the look you get on your films. Do you grade That's, your own stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. It because it just changed the game yeah. for me throwing on a couple of different LUTs I like to use and then fine tuning the color. And I've kind of over trial and error figured out how to completely change the look of your shots. And so even though the white balance is off, I adjust the tint when I get home or I adjust the, the, yeah. the, the warmth and stuff. And it's like, man, um, it's, um, that's not something to get too bent out of shape with when you can color grade. And it yeah. takes me, when I get home, it takes me about five hours to color grade all the footage from a hunt. So I, I dump it and I just color grade it right off the, the get okay. and I organize it into uh, three or four part films and I do all that at the same time. So I listen to it once, I color grade it once, I organize it once and then I can give it over to my brother and say, okay, here are the shots. Here's the, I laid out a rough project for you to edit. Now go gotcha. and kind of string it together and add, you know, create the story. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of how I roll, but that I think a, a, a fixed ND filter and auto ISO is king. Cool. Um, and then do you do you shoot mainly in 4K60? Do you ever use 120? Okay, so it's a great question. Um, I shoot everything almost that's interview style and all that kind of stuff in 4K24. Okay. I'm looking for that cinematic look. Right, people talking. And when I... When I looked at different shots, you know, I don't think people realize why they like the footage I produce. I don't think they know why. Yeah, most people um, don't. I don't think they know why it's pleasant to their eyes. But 4K, 24 frames, 24 frames does give you a different feel. If you put them 60 frames or 30 mm -hmm. frames, they do. They feel so much more digital, less classy. Yeah. They have a, a real harsh feeling to them. So I try to film all the discussions and interactions and interviews and camp shots and stuff in 24 frames per second, uh, 4k. When I go to film a slow motion shot, I try to always go 4k 60 okay. or 1080 60, depending on your camera. Right. Yeah. And I used to do 120, like a lot of so my old media. stuff. I used to do 120 and I was not, ha I was so disappointed with the quality of the film when I got home. Mm. It's so grainy and doesn't let enough light in. And when you have a two to 600 millimeter lens and a doubler on there, and then you try to do 120, you need, you need this light to make that yeah. thing look good. Yeah. yeah. So now it's all 60 frames per second is how okay. I run it. And 60 is plenty fast to slow motion a shot or, nice. or the animal or anything. Cool. So I do the same thing. Uh, with people walking i try to do or, or any kind of motion shot try to do 60 frames per second for all of that panning shots all that so you can 
especially if you're hand holding a lot of stuff. You can get away with murder if, if you slow motion your hand hold. Mm -hmm. You know, you see a lot of my shots are doing this, you know, and you don't, the audience doesn't know it's, it's not real time. If it was real time and doing this, yeah. you wouldn't be able to see the animal. <laughs> oh, yeah. So you slow it down, but you keep the sound the same and it gives you a clean glimpse of the animal. Yeah. It's far away. They can't tell that it's, that I've slowed it down to 20% speed. Right. Right. They just see the animal. Now I can grab a section that's not vibrating all over the place, let it float, <laughs> and you can see the animal at long distance. And the sound stays the same. And literally, I can't yeah. tell the difference when it's on a stabilized image or when it's there. You can't, nobody can tell. It doesn't matter to me that it's not real time. It's what you have to do to deal with the fact that you're backpack hunting and filming. Yeah. Like you don't get the luxury of, a tripod and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yes, 4K 24 and then 4K 60, For and then or or 1086 really is what I think my A7 III does. But I will do 4K 30 on long range footage for, um, you know, bears and deer and all that kind of stuff. When I want a 4K image, I never go 4K 24 on on long distance footage for animals hmm. okay you you need some wiggle room to slow it down even a little bit even if you go to 80 percent instead of 90 30 frames per second will will help you get away with a way way more and it's 4k so i have ultimate power for zooming in and post yeah. and color grading so yeah. i try to go 4k 30 and footage in 1080 60. yep I get both. I try to get both types of sh shots. Every kill shot, though, I try to make sure is 60 frames per yeah. second. Sweet. When it when the shot actually goes down. So that begs the next question. How much media are you taking in with you? I have four 256 gig cards and three 64 gig cards. Think that's enough? Okay. Yeah, so I had those same – Ryan just asked me that question yesterday because he's going <laughs> to attempt to film his first solo oh, okay. hunt. Uh, he, he, The last couple of hunts we've been on, he's been filming and cool. running the camera for photos a lot. And I think I've got him – I think I've got him so he can um, kind of film his own thing and take a lot of photos and, nice. and do it. He, he's going to get better. He's yeah, going to figure it out. Um, it's not intuitive for him. He can't run an electronic device to save his life. But, um <laughs> But he, um, I, when I come back from a seven or 10 day hunt and there's a lot of heavy filming, usually I come back with, uh, especially archery uses more footage than rifle hunts hmm. because there's a lot of stalking and getting in close and, and stuff that never pans out. You know, there's a lot yeah. of failed opportunities and there's just a lot of camera rolling with a rifle. It's like, you see it, you glass it. We talk about it. We make a game plan. We go for it. We get there. We set up. We kill it. It's kind of much more. It's much more conducive to filming than bow hunts are. Mm. Bow hunts are tough, and I can self film a rifle hunt easy. I can't necessarily self film a bow hunt, at least the kill shot part. Yeah. But all in all, it's just harder, and you use more footage on elk hunts. Sure. So I would say you need a terabyte of data for okay. a good long elk hunt. Cool. Yeah. Uh, archery. You need about. 500 gigs to film five or 600 gigs to film a rifle a week-long rifle a 10-day rifle uh, bear hunt or mule deer hunt or something sweet but a terabyte at a minimum is kind of what i'd like to carry into the woods along with plenty of 
battery juice because the last thing you want to do is have to conserve all the time yeah um cards don't weigh anything they just cost money right so i i would bring i'd get as many cards as a terabyte or more of cards and just know you'll never run out yeah the other thing that you don't want to do is when you do transfer it to a hard drive i like to keep the raw data on that card until the film has been produced 100 percent. that's so so scary formatting cards (laughs) that's you know, I had that card that Brent that Brent accidentally deleted on the hard drive. I still had the card the day he deleted it, but he didn't tell me he deleted it because he felt bad and he wanted to tell me face to face. Well, I took that card and I'm like, well, we've got it backed up two or three times. I broke my rule that I never break and I Ooh. deleted the card before I produced it, partly because we were having trouble getting permission to produce it because of all the film yeah. permit stuff. Yeah. Dang, man. Um, uh, I feel like I could sit here for another hour asking you filming questions, but I feel like <laughs> sure. it might be boring some people. <laughs> um, Maybe. But no, it's good stuff, man. It, it's people almost are... like you break it up into two parts, you know, a film podcast and another podcast. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, how are you doing on time? I got time. I, I've got a – I could I could do, go a little over, you know. Okay. I could go another 40 minutes or so. Okay, cool. Um. Let's see if I have any more filming questions. So, real quick, mm-hmm. um, what mic are you using? And when you do those interviews, are you getting real close, tight in their face because you like the look, or you want to get the good audio with a shotgun mic? Or it's a both? great question. It's a great <laughs> question. Um, it's all about audio. Yeah, I don't like. I don't necessarily like the look or not like the look. It's become a it's become a style associated with my films. Um, I do think that the human face evokes a lot of emotion. I think that being as close as I am to that face is very intimate. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, our wives are like, oh, dude, look at all the blackheads and the this and the that. And you guys, your teeth are so yellow, you know, like every flaw is. I'm like, you know what, honey? Men don't care. No, and that's who's watching that. this. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care about that. The hair is coming out your nose. And I, I decided to get over the vanity of it a long time ago. Um, what you see is what you get. I'm, yeah. My face is my face. You know, I, <laughs> I don't – and Ryan, too, he's a hippie. So the <laughs> – but the closeness is – so audio, I think, is so underrated oh, in yeah. outdoor filmmaking. 100%. It's where people really break the uh, – drop the ball on all their hunts. Yeah. The I've heard that is, 70% of perceived video quality comes from audio. That's what we used to be taught. I 70%. believe it. I believe it. And because I spent so many years fixing crappy audio, I'm pretty good at it. And because I spent so many <laughs> years podcasting, I'm pretty good at audio. Yeah. And I have all these tricks and things that I do to, to make my audio good. But there's noth- nothing um, that trumps just getting it good in the first place, you know, yeah. with the right gear. Sure. So I sacrifice a lot for audio. Audio is, is king. And when I edit, you know, the first step I make when I edit a movie is I create an audio bed for the film. Hmm. I create the whole, I listen to all the audio I have to deal with. I don't even have to hardly watch the movie. I'm just laying out sections that tell the story. Hmm. I create a story out of the audio, including the ambient sounds and the nature and, you know, uh, everything. Everything I have to work with that's audio. I lay it out 
that is the foundation that I build the whole film on. Sure. So, um, I don't think guys do that. And I don't think they think of audio and video as two separate things. Right. And if you look at my films, if you're a filmmaker, you would recognize that a lot of my audio is captured independent of my video. Like they're two separate things. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's say there's four bears on the mountain in this Canyon and we're filming it with the long lens. I have my other camera with the microphone and I film Ryan real close and there's a little bit of wind. And so I have the gain down. I have it just where I'm watching the audio meters and I get the microphone this close to his face. Mm. Like literally the camera's here. It's a wide angle, 18 minutes. This is how close the camera is. Microphone's yeah. here. That, that dude whispers like, Brian, there's a bear on the hill. You can't hardly hear him. I have to put the mic that close. Yeah, yeah. And so the microphone is here and he's whispering and I'm filming the side of his face. I'm getting the audio that oh, I yeah. need to get that's crystal clear. His face is just what I, it's just what it is to get the microphone where sure. I want it. And I'm listening to the audio. I monitor my audio more than I ever used to with it with earbuds i pull mm. them in and out people think mm -hmm. i'm listening to music sometimes i'm like no i'm listening to ryan <laughs> totally. talk you know so i i get that audio and then i make sure that i record in two stages so a lot of times i film ryan and myself eating breakfast in the morning i film us breaking down the tent i film us just just i grab the camera real quick and i get a few shots yeah and then i film us hike the hill but i haven't recorded any audio yet none mm. I've just recorded like different shots of us doing what we do. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm documenting the trip. Right. I get to the top of the mountain to our glassing point. We set up, we start glassing. And then I say, Ryan, explain what we did this morning and where we're at. Then Ryan says, well, we got breakfast this morning. We got the tent out. We got everything ready to go. Our plan was to climb up this hill. It took us about 30 minutes. Now we're here and we're glassing cross Canyon and there's a big buck over there. Mm. All of that audio was 40 seconds, right? right? Let's say 40 seconds. And I have filmed the shots for that Just audio already. The whole thing. Yep. So when the film starts, it starts with Ryan on the mountain saying, well, we got up this morning and I dropped the shots in that, mm -hmm. that show that, that go with his audio bed, boom, 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 boom. And in 40 seconds, I've told you the story that other guys take seven minutes to tell mm -hmm. as they, they live film it like a vlog, vlog and they just say, we're getting up this morning and we're having breakfast and he's eating this and he's eating that. And oh, yeah. our, now our packs are loaded and now we're hiking up the hill and seven minutes in the film, nothing has happened. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. None of that. But, totally. but if you can deliver that, that feel and that, that, that those shots and that hunt to me in 30 seconds or 40 seconds. Yeah. That's magic. Cause now I I'm with you, man. I know what you're going through. I know, totally. I know your experience. So I film a lot of times that audio separate. So I'll get the shots I need. Then I'll get the audio I need later, or I'll film mm. the audio. Ryan, tell us what we're going to do this morning. And then I make sure and get all the video that supports what he just said we're going to do. So the whole time I'm I'm thinking, okay, I got to get some shots of him climbing. I got to get some shots of this. I got to get some shots to go with what he said earlier. Yeah. And that might be easier for a new person because you get the recording and you're like, okay, it's a minute and a half. And uh, he said these five things. I need, I need clips to go with that. Yeah. Because nobody wants to watch a talking head. They want to be with you. But they also don't want to watch you like real time break down your tent the whole time. Like we get it. You took your tent down. Yeah. So <laughs> I think, I think um, audio is 
critical film it in think of it as uh its own thing think of it video as its own thing yeah. and whenever you can combine them together great that's magic that's that's a bonus but don't always think of both right. have to com be combined so the other thing that i've been using i'll get to the shotgun mic in a minute so i've been using the road uh wireless go yeah i just got mic. one of those dude it's like 200 bucks yeah. pretty good yes. audio so the road wireless go 2 is maybe what you should have bought oh, really? but i was like breaking it out as my backup in case my freaking computer didn't start right before you joined <laughs> <laughs> so the the go is awesome um it um uh, Bug. bugs flying on me so <laughs> the go it's 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 what i got m most of my all the stuff i filmed so far is really with the go and I've never done that before. So this season's footage, that's one thing that's really different is using the labs heavily. Oh, you are? Okay. And I don't use the cords, the microphone cords. Like they right. annoy me. They're not convenient. You're in a you're in a grind. You gotta go. I don't have time to fish it up and then it always gets bumped. Yeah. Okay. The the little square go, mm -hmm. the transmitter. Um, yep. And if you take the the wind muff mm -hmm. that comes with it i super glued mine good idea they on. come off super easy they come off like that you'll lose them right away <laughs> so mine are permanent because gotcha. i wind is the killer of all audio mm -hmm. well because the the mic is flush it doesn't protrude outward it's flush doesn't rub on you stuff. put the you put the wind mic on top of it the muff and the wind blows across it it really it's it crushes in the wind nice and then i can just have ryan be in charge of that little clip and he can just stick it on his vinyl harness or on his yeah. his backpack clip right here and he can whisper and it picks it up like perfectly nice man and so he can be 10 or 20 feet away which if you noticed on these last hunts that he's there's a buttery nice sound coming from ryan yeah. and i did notice that in your bear hunt you had one of those yeah yep and um the wireless go to gives you one receiver and two transmitters oh, so that would have been nice <laughs> yeah. because then you could have you know it's it's instead of buying two yeah uh wireless goes which is what i did you could buy one yeah. and accomplish what you need but you could still labs. buy you but you can buy two of these and just pair both of them with the receiver like both mics yes. with one receiver with the new one but not with the old one no oh dang no. okay and and but here's you can get a, a small rig, uh, um, buy the small rig adapter. Mm -hmm. um, what's it called? It's called small rig, and it's a splitter. Okay. And it goes into the hot shoe mic, and it's the Rode small rig, Rode Wireless Go small rig. It's made by the company Small Rig, or maybe that's no, that's the company product name. I don't remember, but yeah. So it has two little grooves to slide the receivers onto. Oh, okay, cool. And then it has two ports, input ports, one output, and then it goes into your camera, and now you have basically the same thing, but two separate channels. Nice, okay. But now the new the new one does that for you, the Wireless Go 2 does the same thing for you and gives you two channels. Nice. Awesome. Well, so, I'm going to have to break that out then. I'm So me and my partner are going to Kodiak. I leave in two weeks black tail yeah so i'm gonna be filming that sweet and then well anyway so, go ahead i was gonna say i think um 
the deity. So the problem is Kodiak is freaking windy, dude. Yeah. It's just, it, it's hard to, it's an island. It's windy all the time. Y'all's um, Kodiak film was beautiful. Yeah. That thing was beautiful. Sometimes, and I had a lot of help from that because we had Adam Foss on the trip. Yeah. And uh, I was, I've been fortunate over the years. I'm a sponge, like learning from these guys that have, that know things that I don't know. And I'm all self-taught through conversations with people and just figuring things out. Well, you're killing it, um, dude. I wouldn't say I'm the best film guy. But you're killing it. But I, I'm good at capturing the right things. Yeah. And I'm good at, I am good at producing and editing. Yeah. And the, the know, authenticity like I, piece comes through with you that, you know, isn't there. Like you were talking about earlier. It just yeah. feels genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I, if I hand this over to Brent or Luke or some other people I've worked with in the past, they do a good job, but they don't do what I do in terms of the the overall production. Mm -hmm. It takes someone with a vision of the story to really totally. communicate it. And that's well. where the film and, is really uh, made, is in the editing suite. It really is. Yeah. And so you can have – that's why when Adam came to the table with some of this footage, I'm like, this is so sick because he's better at filming than me. Yeah. Um, and so I took some pages. I, that was years ago too. And, uh, and you can contrast what I produced with what Leopold produced because Leopold produced the same series on their web page mm. and it didn't turn out well. It didn't resonate. Hmm. Same footage, different produ production. Yeah. Um, but I would say that, uh, that road mic is key. It's new. It's in my arsenal. I'll never go without it. Another thing is the Sony MK3 hot shoe shotgun mic. Yes. Um, the one that goes through like the this? hot shoe. That's, yes. Okay. Yep, it's like that. This one I got a long time yep. ago, and I updated the firmware in my camera, and it stopped working. So this is now a paperweight. But <laughs> I took the mic that came with it, and I had the mm -hmm. engineers at my old job convert it from XLR to eighth inch. And so now this nice, awesome oh. Sony mic goes into my camera. So that was a nice score. Wow. See, I've been running the, what I like about the MK3 or the MK2 is it's got two dials on the outside of the camera mm. right there for gain. Yes. Yeah. Right there. And I can monitor each channel, so right. I can have a shotgun mic here, and then I can have a lav mic plugged in. Yeah, it's so nice. Now, it's two it's two XLRs, though. So the new MK3, which is backordered for a year now or <sighs> nine months, it has three channels. So it has two XLR, plus it has one you can – the new – the port you just uh, – Yeah, the little eighth plug, inch or whatever. Inch. Yeah. It has one of those in there, too, so you can plug the road wireless go in there, but then run your shotgun mic on the top. Um, what I like about it is during the conversation, I can just increase the gain, lower the gain, increase the gain, lower the gain. The other thing too is what I learned with the Sony, with that Sony shotgun system, the MK3, MK2, it kills, it, it handles the wind. So the wind, here's what you're going to find with a Rode Video Mic Pro or a deity or any of those smaller like little puffball mics that yeah. everyone uses when the wind hits it it clips it cuts out the video the audio dies it disappears mm -hmm. for like it goes silent like and ryan will be talking it'll just go 
and be, the audio the audio is not there to work with when you get home mm. to even improve it just is just the it's just clipping cutting out cutting out cutting out cutting out the whole time when it gets hit gust of wind when you run the mk3 or the mk2 i have found the wind is there and it's hitting the mic and you can hear the wind hitting the mic, but you can still hear the person's voice. And it's really just a competition between which one's louder, the person's voice or the, or the wind. Yeah. Right. And you can parse it out a little bit and post a little bit. But what happens is there's never any clipping. There's never any cutting out. Yeah. There's no spikes or weirdness. So what you can do is in the wind, you can still run that shotgun mm. and Ryan can be whispering and I can get home and I can add subtitles there. Yeah. And it still sounds cool. Yeah. Because the wind is overpowering Ryan, but that's an effect. That's yeah. kind of a feature almost mm -hmm. rather than a bug. And I can go ahead and run it because the audio isn't clipping or blowing out. Mm. And so, yeah, you can't hear him because the wind's blowing too hard, but the wind isn't destroying the mic. It's just covering. It's the sound you hear. Yeah. So then you can add subtitles and you can get your effect. But when it ad utterly dies out, and yeah. disappears like the other You're mics done. do you can't really use it at all yeah it doesn't work at all there's nothing you can salvage yeah man. plus it takes a lot of wind for me to not be able to leverage that microphone's audio yeah now the downside is i've broken three of them and they're 700 bucks a piece <laughs> that yeah. little adapter on the hot shoe is garbage it just snaps off yeah so i paid 100 bucks or whatever from bnh photo for the two-year um protection uh protection and i break it at least once every year so <laughs> i just ship it in and get a, a new deal yeah. and i now that's better but i not before i didn't do that and i broke it like it takes almost nothing to break it yeah so i switched to the deity and the deity has um a shotgun going forward and it has a sh an audio going backwards that's two nice. shotgun mics that's nice yeah so as a vlogger i can sit here and go right so what do you got going on? Ooh. And Ryan can talk from the front. I'm doing this, this, and this. And the audio sounds perfect. Instead of me sounding Dang. like I'm on the other side of the shotgun, I'm right there. That's sick. I didn't even know about that. I'll have to look into that. I'm going to have to like go back and, and listen gets, to this episode and like take more notes or something. <laughs> and the deity gets better. It handles the wind better, in my opinion. But it's still going to kill you in the wind. Is that but an XLR mic? Or does it have an eighth inch? No. It's an eighth inch. Nice. So take the small rig. Take your deity, okay? Your deity has a microphone in the front and in the back, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a shotgun going both ways. You plug that into your splitter on the small rig. You plug your your Rode video, your Rode wireless in there. And now you have coming out of the camera, you have two channels. One for for the uh, the shotgun mic going both directions. Mm -hmm. And you have the road video mic. Even though you have three mics, you'll have two channels yeah. going that route. Also, one more thing you can do is, and I did this a whole bunch, is the deity has an input. So it's a splitter also. Wow. So I put a cord, an eighth inch going from there, from my, um, my um, lav mic. Uh -huh. So I had a lav mic, a shotgun pointing both directions, and Ryan's lav mic all going at. So I have four microphones yeah. all going into there, and it's all split into two channels. Mm. So you, you have to be careful because 
you're stuck. You can't parse it out. You're stuck with what you get. Yeah. Um, in your in your channels, uh, when you record them on a splitter, you don't get to split them out. Yeah. You know, but you can. So I still have Ryan on the lav. I have Brad on a lav, and they're 15 feet away from me. And then I have my shotgun, and I'm talking into the shotgun because I have the camera right next to me. Yeah. And I'm getting three people giving me buttery, perfect, clean That's sound. Awesome. That's and game changer. It's, and all it is is two two wireless goes in the deity mic. Yeah. So it's pretty handy. Um, but if I were to tell a guy, it's more rugged too. You're not going to break the microphone. Yeah. But ease of use, like no-brainer shotgun, like kind of hard to screw up. That MK2 is the way it go is the way to go. And if it didn't break so easily, I would use it ex exclusively. Almost, I wouldn't mess with labs at all. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, definitely have to look into some of that stuff. And so um, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned Ryan a lot, and you know, kind of going back, like, listening to sort of your career, like, you kind of start off with Aaron, and um, and you've done a really good job of bringing other guys on board while still, like, remaining very much a character in your stories while not just being, like, just camera guy. You're, like, yeah. a character as well, but also using these other guys. And so I got a, um, I have an opportunity in September. I'm going with Dan Staten from Elk Shape, and I'm going to film for him. And I'm uh -huh. try, I'm hoping to be able to repackage some of that footage as, and do kind of like a behind the scenes thing too, as well as you know his thing. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Could you speak to? I mean, it seems like an intentional choice on your part to kind of partner with these awesome hunters and and what's that whole kind of interplay been like? Yeah, you bet. So it's kind of. I've been in evolution. You know, I actually like telling other people's stories more than my own. I love to film someone else's story and tell their story and produce their story. You know, people, haters want to say, oh, he just does it because he wants the limelight and he wants to be insta-famous and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, nah, I'm, you don't know me. Yeah. You know, you think you know my story, but you're just a page in it. You know, you don't really know me. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think, um, I think that a lot of people assume that right but no if you look if you really followed my stuff i like to film ryan yeah i enjoyed filming aaron i enjoyed bringing out the 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 parts of their personalities that i found charming or funny or interesting or intellectual or educational like i enjoy capturing and getting things out of human beings mm. it's part of the fun in it for me and inserting myself into the films i only did that because in a way to sort of, I needed parts of the story to be more understood. So I had to just talk to the camera so people knew what was going on. Right. Cause I, I didn't have, I knew like on a stock or in this moment, I needed to be able to say this, is what's going on, everybody, we're getting closer. And I actually asked my cameraman to do the same thing. So Brad filmed a lot of these hunts and I'm like, Brad, if you just, if you're filming something, you feel like you need to tell the audience what's going on, you do it. Yeah. The, I don't like the fourth wall situation. I think it's dumb. Yeah. I think that when meat eater goes out there and they're like crawling into a tent and they're like, dude, we're freezing to death. We barely got, we survived this night of terror and all this stuff. And the cameramen are invisible. Yeah. Like they act like they don't exist. Right. I'm like, it feels so fake now. Yeah. Like we're beyond that in society today. Yeah. That's, that's old school filmmaking. It's silly. 
I want surely your cameraman was struggling to run the camera in the freezing yeah. icy rain and getting his own tent set up. And what does it look like? Yeah. It's like this imaginary thing that there's a cameraman there. I find it unauthentic. Yeah. I find it bothersome. Totally. It, it's the elephant in the room for me all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, different people have different opinions and, and they have the reasons for it. For me, I feel like the cameraman being present and speaking makes it authentic. So if you look at our Kodiak footage, there's footage of Adam Foss, which is like, you don't do that generally when you're, when your camera, you don't include your cameraman in your edits. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's not there, right? Yeah. He's not the story. I just think that's weird. Mm-hmm. This is weird to me. So I started incorporating myself for one for authenticity, but then just to tell the story as a, as a, as a necessity. But over time I started to realize that, um, you know, my wife, my parents, my kids, they're like, we didn't see you in this whole video. Like we heard your voice, but we didn't see you. Yeah. I want to see you. I want to know what you think. I want your opinions. So I started to reluctantly incorporate myself into films. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something I felt comfortable doing or that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. It was something I made myself do. If I'm solo or it's me telling a story, it made it felt right to me. But if I'm filming Ryan's hunt, I don't want it to be about me. Yeah. I want it to be about Ryan. Sure. This is the, his moment. But I found that over time, um, there's actually you have to adapt and change with the times. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a phone now. Yeah. Everyone's used to people talking to them directly in a to to a camera. Everyone's used to direct communication. So to do an interview in post in a studio talking about the hunt. Yeah. feels so fake so and weird yeah. and old school. And it doesn't actually, we're so used to that medium and that two face to face to face intimate communication that at this point, I think, I think that's one of the things that I, I think is odd about what I do. I have a, I try to achieve a high level of cinematography and production, like, 4k really clean good audio i try to produce this thing and then i also throw in this talking head vlog thing at the same time it's really there's no cameraman holding that camera what surprised me was how many people thought there was a cameraman who's your cameraman who's running the camera who who was the guy behind the scenes the whole time he did a great job like (laughs) dude i've never had a cameraman like almost never that was me yeah and um they don't see it me just holding the camera out in front and talking to it and flipping it around and all of that. So for me, the other thing too was branding. You know, years ago people said, will you film this hunt for me? Will you do this for me? Will you do that for me? As you do what you do and you build hunter's quest. Okay. And, and, and you continue to go out and, and build what a brand you believe in and, and you spread a message message. That's you authentically you. You're going to have an opportunity for people that they're going to come up to you and they're going to say, well, we want you to do this for us and we want you to sell our stuff and we want you to use your talent, your skill, your platform, your voice, your, your special abilities to build us. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I was, I was sitting there going, why should I give myself away to other people when I can build this for me? Like I can be a cameraman for Eastman's. Or I can be a cameraman for Brian. Yeah. I can be a cameraman for Brian Call, or I can be a cameraman for Mountain Ops. 
It's like, no, I, I'm too independent. I, I don't want to work for other people. I want to build, I want to work for me. Mm-hmm. I want to live and die on my own, on my own merits. And I think that putting yourself in that position also forces you to get better or disappear. Yeah. You know, I started out podcasting. Well, now that if I try to make a living off of podcasting today on its, on its own, I don't know. I don't know if I could with the saturation of the market, yeah. my skill set, my abilities, like my drive. I, I don't know. Yeah, Back so. when I started, I hit it, man. There was three of us. You know, I owned the space for a while <laughs> being an early adopter. And right now, you know, I started the locals community in the subscription service. Yeah. And um, I'm independent more or less at this point. My fans pay me directly. I don't. And I've only launched this thing like three months ago. Mm. I don't necessarily need any corporate sponsors anymore. I'm in a screw you situation. Like, (laughs) thanks guys. It's been fun, but I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And, um, what's funny are the people who come out of the woodwork saying he's a sellout. He switches from Sitka to Kuyu to stone glacier to initial ascent to seek outside to Kafaru. And they're just all, and I'm like, dude, nobody owns me. Yeah. I can, I can use whatever I want. I'm independent. But I think you build that by putting yourself in front of the camera and earning that trust. Sure. And trust is hard to earn and easy to lose. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes I think uh, I've postponed a lot of my growth or success by staying authentic and independent when I could have taken money because i think it has a lot to do with don't give up what you want now for what you want most Mm. delayed gratification is king so if i I, what i wanted most is this i can film what i want tell the story how i want i don't have eastman's or mountain hops or browning or leupold anyone telling me what my film needs to look like or owning my productions it's me Mm. i get to own it all and to get to this point to have full control over me and who I work with and what I do and owning the whole thing and being wholly independent to get to this point, I had to struggle with minimal dollars Mm -hmm. coming up. But now, now things are changing. And I think that we live in a world where people are starving for authenticity. And when you go out and you film Kodiak and you put yourself in front of the camera and you film yourself telling your story and you insert yourself into these things and you make yourself part of it, I think it's just real and authentic. Mm-hmm. I think the audience responds to it and not everyone's going to like you, sure. you know, I'm off putting to certain people for, for one reason or another, I just piss them off or I annoy <laughs> them or I'm just, you know, what my existence bothers them. <laughs> yeah. That's life, man. Yeah. That's just how it goes. And I've had to develop a pretty, you know, I've had to develop some resilience that I didn't have in the beginning. Sure. You know, I wasn't used to people not liking me. I was always a pretty likable person throughout all my walks of life, but social media is another animal. And so is the public eye. Yeah. And, um, so it took some time, but I think it's an evolution. Um, you know, Ryan is starting to film himself and we'll see how that goes, you know, being, filming and i'll produce his 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 shows but i'm like you get the footage i'll i'll i'll, I'll tell a story you know yeah. give me the the ingredients and i'll and i'll put it together 
So I think, but I, I just think, yeah, it, it was never, it was sort of like we were talking about making a video podcast. You don't put yourself in front of people. If you don't market yourself to an extent, if you don't share yourself, you can't build a relationship with anyone. Right. And then you can't build off of that. Mm-hmm. You know, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk would say, you know, you're your, you're your brand. Everyone should be building themselves mm. as, as a brand. You, you know, you are a brand and you should approach all your interactions that way. And, um, so I, uh, those are all kind of the reasons why and how I've done it this way. Yeah. Good stuff. Man. And at first I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like filming, I didn't know how, how to film. I didn't know, um, I didn't know any of this stuff. And so part of the reason I didn't insert myself in front of the camera was because I'm not going to pretend I know how to kill a mule deer in this situation when I don't, Yeah, you know, I'm not going to sure. be, I'm not going to talk about what's in my backpack when I don't, but when you spend eight or nine years honing your abilities, mm-hmm. I can now come out as an authority on these subjects because I've totally. done it, but I couldn't do that eight years ago, yeah. seven years ago. Cause I was, I was in a different role at that time. Yeah. I was a rookie learning. So some people want to put you in that rookie role and never let you climb out of it. Mm-hmm. And it bothers them when you surpass their own abilities. For sure. I remember when I went out and hunted with my two best friends, they're like, dude, we were used to being the guys that were better hunters than you. Mm. And now it's like, we're like constantly asking you questions and what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. And where are the animals? And you're the guy leading the way. And they're like, it's a really tough pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. You know, that people get better and even get better than you were. Yeah. You know? So I think, um, and that only and that's going to breed jealousy. And that only comes from years of, like you said, just doing it. And there's no quick way there. It's just because that's why I respect the things that you say is because I can tell it's coming from not like, oh, Sitka paid me to say this or whatever. It's like this dude's really saying like what he likes, what he's found in like the backcountry to work. So that's that's what I respect yeah. about that. So we've got a few minutes left. I got to ask you about change topics a little bit because it's just sort of the theme yeah. of the podcast. So. I heard one time on a podcast a long time ago that you spent some time in Japan, which I have also did an exchange program there as a young man. So, um, kind of a common experience there. Um, but, uh, so you did a mission out there. I was just wondering, is your, is your faith still a part of your daily life? Do you have any spiritual practices and kind of what's your thoughts on the interplay between, you know, your faith, if it, if, if it is still a part of your life and your experience of, of nature and, and the hunting. And I squished together yeah. like five questions there to keep it. <laughs> so, um, over the next couple of years, I think people are going to see more of my faith on the forefront cool. than they've seen in the past. They're going to see a lot more of my political opinion as well. I'm just kind of at a point where I don't like the ways things are being done out in the public eye in the public space. And I'll probably get censored and maybe even booted off of these socialist platforms that we're all trying to be on. But thankfully I've built more of that independent community mm-hmm. and I'm continuing to build it. And I can walk away from YouTube if I had to, I can walk away from a lot of um, those platforms and I never want to be in a position where somebody owns me or where, where I'm extorted to stay quiet because someone has, because I might say the wrong thing and then lose my livelihood or my reach. Right. 
So building an alternative community over at Locals and maybe even looking at Rumble or other platforms to, to host content on and to build community, that's what I've been looking at. I truly think that I'm going to continue to build a really great community over on the Locals platform. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it turns into a decentralized Twitter in a sense. Like when you look at Twitter or Facebook, you have all these different, you have one community, Twitter, right? Or, or let's say Facebook, yeah. one community, it's Facebook. If you don't follow the rules of that one community, you're out. You're ostracized from human. Sure. We need to decentralize Facebook. It needs to be like 50 Facebooks. Yeah. Everybody needs to go to their own Facebook that fits them, that they want to be part of. Yeah. It's like because a this whole thing together, it, it ain't working. Yeah. And one person's in charge and gets to decide, like the ministry of truth, which thing's real and which thing's not? And yeah. who puts them in? Who makes them the, the the leader on what's right for humanity and is real? By decentralizing those communities, and that's what locals kind of is attempting to do. Dan Staten is on there with Elk Shape. I'm on there with Gritty Stealthy, and others I think will join, um, or they'll do their own app, their own kind of community. People are going to start building their own communities because look, we're under threat of getting kicked off of the public out of the public square we're getting yeah. so for me i built that so i can say what i want it's the same thing with with my income my revenue streams are diversified and they're not exclusive i can talk about this supplement or that supplement and i get paid by both that took a long time to negotiate. It had took a lot of trust between companies for them to, to agree to that kind of thing. Mm. And it took a lot of refusal on my part to use my, my platform otherwise, mm. but it keeps putting me into a position to be able to say what I want, what I right. think without being canceled, without being just like removed. Right. And when you talk about religion, like when you talk about politics, it can be divisive. Sure. It can cause people to just, split ways mm -hmm. so i've i've um i'm very fit i'm very i very much uh believe i believe in god i just believe there's god i think yeah. that um and i don't think it's a childish belief either i think there's there's um i think in fact atheism and this might piss some people off but i just think atheism is a juvenile yeah uh, totally. idea and um, it's funny how they feel like they have the market on intellectual ideas through atheism. It's like, nah, your ideas are kind of half cocked when you really d dig into it intellectually. And I think Jordan Peterson has done a fine job of bridging the gap of, of some, to some degree, religious philosophy and, and a atheistic ideas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's something, I believe that everything we do matters, that there's some cosmic force out there that, that that wants us to live moral lives, that there's a purpose in living moral life, that if you wake up every day and you're, you're doing everything you can to live the most moral life you can, your life will be filled with the most meaning possible. Mm. And when you try, when you switch out, when you say everything I do, I'm going to do because it's meaningful, not because it's expedient, everything changes for you. No longer do I take this money because it's expedient from this company, which then will force me to repeat the Sitka party line. Now it's like, nah, I can say what I want and Sika can't tell me what I can or cannot say yeah. or some other corporate entity right. that feels like they own me and want me to be an extension of their, a puppet in there, an extension of them. I don't, I don't do that. Yeah. So I get to say how I feel and what I think. 
it will probably get me banned down the road on certain platforms. I have shared more about what I think about COVID and all of these kind of this pandemic stuff. And what I see is a lot of Marxist socialist ideas taking over the nation mm -hmm. and a lot of just no gratitude. Uh, this is a, just a pandemic of ungratefulness spreading across the nation. And yeah. I think you haven't lived other places. I went to Japan as a young man and saw what another country was like. And granted, it wasn't a third world country. Japan's marvelous. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's awesome. People there, their culture, it's rich. I love Japan. And I love the people there. I got, I was very fluent in language. Oh, cool. I was immersed. I took and Japanese when for like I came, five years in school. Didn't mean to cut you off though. No, it's, it's, I, I took Japanese for one year, but then when I lived there, it was like, you just soak it in. I mean, yeah. it's just life. And I strive so hard to learn it because I wanted to communicate desperately with the people. Awesome. And anything I set my mind to, if I decide I'm going to do it, I don't do it halfway. If I decide I'm going to make movies, I'm going to figure it out. If I decide I'm going to do podcasts, I'm going to try to do the best podcast. If I'm going to decide to become a bow hunter, if I'm going to decide to do this, that, I won't be the best in my field, but I guarantee I'm going to... I'm going to die real. I love that line from NF, you know, yeah. it's like, I, I may not be the best in my field. I, I probably will never be the best at any of this stuff, but I'll be real and I'm, I'll be, I'll be good enough. I'll be one of the people that come up in conversation in each of those yeah, areas. For sure. And, um, when it comes down to, to my faith, I, I, um, I just believe that there is more to this life than than just we're just a pile of you know guts and blood and you know and 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 it's all some cosmic accident and a joke it's like yeah no none of that speaks to me or, or seems real and you know it to me it boils down to two options if none of this, if none of this matters and it's some kind of cosmic joke then you have no responsibility you know, whether you tell the truth or whether you lie, whether you, you steal or whether you do something right or wrong, none of that stuff really matters if yeah. this is all some cosmic joke, if, 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 if it has no deeper meaning to it. So there's no responsibility. Yay, everybody can go party. But anybody who's done that for any period of time realizes it's an empty life. Yeah. But I've been down that road. Think about it the other way. What if it does make a difference. What if everything you do matters? What if there is some cosmic purpose to the universe mm -hmm. and you have a key role in it? Then you have a a tremendous level of responsibility to the, be the best version of you that you can be. Totally. So you can either adopt in life, nothing matters and I have no responsibility or everything matters, therefore I have tremendous responsibility. You can say, you that's the only way you have meaning. So you can either have the freedom to do whatever you want, and no responsibility, or you can have meaning in your life. Which one is it? Which one is it? Pleasure, no responsibility, do whatever you want, justify every action or meaning and purpose. And when you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, it's clear, or the Gulag Archipelago. Oh, I just listened see, to that one. That's a crazy book. It's scary. Yeah. And when you see these people, you know, go through this, this, um, this crucible of, of, of suffering, of, uh, suffering. And yet they find meaning in it when all, 
else is taken away. Like Victor Frankl says, you know, he's like, um, he's like, they took my wife, took my family, they took my freedom, they took my liberty, they took my comfort, they took, they took everything away from me. And he's he's digging a hole one day. He's, he's talking about this, and they they're it's it's like twenty below. They're all freezing to death, and and some bird flies down, lands up like on his shovel on this dirt as he's tossing it and he's like they took everything away Jeez. um they took that all away but they didn't take his inner self you know mm. and he talks about how love transcends all of it that he didn't know if he was going to see his wife again and it turned out she had already been killed in a gas chamber mm. and he said whether she lived was alive or not alive it didn't matter because he still communed with her every day mm. and that all the suffering in the world didn't matter because love transcended all of it mm. And that the one thing that they could never take away was his ability to live that moral life. And there was purpose in that mm. to live a good life in spite of everything that was on top of him. And then later he talks about being, being critical in people's lives for human beings to find purpose and to have meaning and without it. They're depressed, they're nihilistic, and they're lost. And I think we have an epidemic of meaninglessness. Like, if human beings in, in our decadent modern society that, that lack any type of meaning in their life. Mm. And so they cling to bad ideas and they cling to things that are shallow and empty, trying to find some kind of purpose for higher reason for their existence. But at the end of the day, I say this to my kids all the time, there is no replacement. There's no replacement for, for, for happiness while we're here for living a moral life the best you can. There's no, there's nothing that can fill that hole mm. to be as truthful as you can and to be as moral as you can. Those two things give life its purpose, its meaning. And, that just isn't people don't get that because it's counterintuitive man what mm -hmm. do you want to do you want to go sleep with every hot chick there is and you want to go party and you want to go do these things and you feel like that new car and that new house and that new thing is going to make everything better yeah. that's what that's what it seems like it's the lie but of the, the reality world. is the reality is it's the exact opposite it's when you actually try to live a moral good life and tell the truth and do everything that you know you should that you actually find meaning and and life is deep you know um i read a book um you know you have uh um machiavelli wrote, wrote the prince and it's all about how you know you gain power in the world and you destroy people and you kill them and these are all the people that had power and it's a disturbing book you know it's on hitler's mantle and it's all about how you know in history, he cites all these people 
that lived long and powerful lives through ruthlessness and cruelty. And he's like, you know, if you really want to be powerful in this life, the people who lived a good life usually got assassinated, killed, taken advantage of, you know, didn't retain power. And he's like, so therefore, that's his justification, his argument for being evil, basically. Mm. It, it, it wins more. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I'm like, the con- there's other books that contradict that idea, right? Sure. And when you go back and you, you read some of that, like, uh, I forget the Roman. The Bible. <laughs> yeah. But they talk about how, you know, to me, that would be an empty life when you stopped and you looked at it afterward. You had all the power. Yeah. But you didn't have meaning, you know. And because. Sure, um, so anyway, um, that's where I stand. That's powerful stuff, you know? man. Thanks for going there with me. Um, yeah, I don't really talk about it very much, and I, it's kind of caught me off guard today. I don't know what's yeah, going man. on. That's 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 my goal <laughs> to catch my guests <laughs> off guard. <laughs> uh, they think well, you're work today. About I doing CrossFit and hiking up mountains. <laughs> you're really going to talk about that's your right. soul. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Well, dude, I know you're a super busy guy. Uh, you've given me a great chunk of time. I really appreciate it. So I'm gonna let you go. I do have. You bet. Three yeah. like super fast rapid fire just for fun questions. Okay. Hit okay. Me. <laughs> um so you can keep hunting all you want, but you gotta go back to your office job. Or you can keep creating content, but it's gotta be about like golf or something. Which one are you doing? <laughs> I'm hunting and office job, no more content. Okay, cool. That's what I was hoping for. Um you can yeah, only hunt okay, go ahead. No, I that I, I no, I that's the thing about this is I would do this whether I made money or not. I would make yeah. films, they wouldn't be as good cuz I couldn't dedicate as much time to it. I wouldn't be as skilled as I am at this point with both hunting and filming. Yeah. But I was doing this for 10 years before I did it for yeah. a living. I was filming hunts as a kid. I was filming hunts all my life. Yeah. So, I do it no matter whether no way I'm not giving it up. Okay. Um you can hunt any place or species in the world, but you can only shoot with an iPhone. Or you can hunt only whitetails with all your gear. The iPhone. Okay, Hands cool. down. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, and uh, last one. I've asked a couple people this lately. Um, you can. You have to wear the same pair of socks for a month or the same underwear for a week. Which one are you going for? Socks. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, underwear for a week is not even bad. <laughs> no, I do it all the time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> all right. Cool, man. Well, yeah, that's all I had, man. Um, anything else you wanted to say? or? No, that's that's great, man. I appreciate you having me on. I really feel honored to be invited on and keep oh, yeah. doing what you're doing. I, I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And yeah, me I, too, man. I don't make it on to very many other podcasts. Um, yeah. And so I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's been great. I, I need to do more, but I just, it's hard to carve it out, you know, and so I, I'm glad we did this. Yeah, man. Well, thanks again, man. 